you all, so this goes to you and to the team for all the hard work we put in day in and day out. <laughs> we about to get it in, baby. Let's get it. Welcome to uh, Our Kind of Pod, a special UW football-themed episode of the Boyd Meets World podcast. Joining me again this week is uh, is Michael Stinn. He's back. Uh, we uh, we squashed our beef. Um, we had beers with Quincy Pondexter. Usually resolves some things. Uh, but now it was great to see him. I was just at the USC game um, in Seattle. Had a great time. Uh, so he and I will be talking about the Husky defense in different parts, uh, different units that are performing better than other ones, uh, where this offense stands uh, in terms of their their constant bout with explosiveness. Uh, we'll talk a little Savelle Smalls, of course. We'll preview Stanford. Uh, and then, as always, talk about our favorite little conference, the Pac-12, uh, the national scene, and on our great cat and OKP. Thanks for listening. Then we kind of have this uh, this on again, off again relationship going here. It's it's a lot to deal with. Yeah, how are you uh, holding up from an emotional standpoint? Standpoint. Uh, yeah, I've I've had to to dance with with some other partners recently. I mean, uh, had had Hitzel come on, fill in for you last week. He's Zpeg before the Cal game. Um, serving admirably, I will say. We got some good feedback on on all that, and uh, uh, it's not you that's going to be replaced it's me actually so you're the new host oh boy i don't know if i can carry that i'm pretty much you know walking through this blindly anyways so uh yeah i don't i don't know that might have a hit on our listener count i've never heard what that count is (laughs) yeah i'm gonna say it one time to you and then just pretend that skype uh skype like blurted it out and that you couldn't you couldn't hear it um I will say though, I was obviously we saw each other uh, for the USC game. We were both uh, chilling in E1. Um, we'll talk about exactly what went down in E1 here in a second. But uh, yeah. for all of you that I saw that said uh, you listen to the podcast and you're enjoying it, all three of you, congratulations on uh, <laughs> on making me feel really good. Um, whether it was true or not, don't care. Uh, that was very nice of you. Um, I love that uh, we are in some small part. Um, a, a bit of people's weeks as they uh, they get their Jones or their their, their fix in for uh, for Husky football. So I really appreciate. We have that. fun. We do. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know this this ain't easy, guys. Um, you know the the paycheck is nice as we've talked about, but uh, boy, long hours of prepping and watching <laughs> five minute YouTube videos and uh, you know BSing for an hour. That's it's tough work. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Um, all right. So the the events of E one. Uh, so late Friday night, um, we get word from Quincy Pondexter's Twitter account that he is going to shotgun beers with every Husky he sees um, on Saturday. Obviously, we get excited. Um, and then I, I come and see you in E1. Uh, fantastic tailgate there once I, once I found it. Uh, your boy's a little directionally challenged. <laughs> um, and who do I see holding a bottle of Hennessy walking around but Quincy Pondexter? And oh, yeah. uh, first of all, the awareness of, of Michael Hatcher to have exactly two uh, Rainier Tallboys ready to go for shotgunning um, is is astounding. I mean, the, the guy's always ready, prepared to, to, to strap. And then uh, the performance of Hatcher in beating Quincy Pondexter in said shotgun, uh, truly it's outstanding. What Wasn't even close, really. Wasn't uh, even it close. It was almost embarrassing for Coupon. Right, which is a little strange considering Coupon announced to the world that he was going to be doing that. 
Um, you would have thought that shotgunning was like his game or something, but it clearly was not. Yeah. Didn't uh, didn't he say a hundred bucks to anybody who could sh- like shotgun it uh, quicker than him? Yeah, but a hundred bucks to Quincy Pondexter is like fourteen cents to us. So yeah, yeah, that's that's nothing. Maybe maybe he knew that he was just gonna do his charity that day. Uh, but Hatcher has not seen his money, um, which is unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully we can report back next week on the development on that front because, you know, you'd assume Coupon would uh, hold his word there. Yeah. Quincy Pondexter, come on the podcast. Uh, that's all I'm saying. That's you, you, you can make this right. You can explain to the people. Um, he did say that, that Robin and Brooke Lopez taught him how to drink. Um, so that might be the problem, considering those guys are uh, – <laughs> animals i don't know what really what you could learn from them they're kind of their own species so uh, but either way amazing to see coupon i can't believe that all worked out like it did that i was only at your tailgate for all of like 25 minutes and uh quincy pondexter was walking right next to us so uh good circumstances there good to see you uh let's break into this though first down uh talking about the the young defensive backs um rounding into form and i have in parentheses in my notes here kind of uh, we had Cam Williams with two picks, um, that uh, also gave up a touchdown more or less and missed a big tackle, uh, at a bad angle as well. But Trent, du- Trent McDuffie came in he led the team in tackles, uh, Kyler Gordon, probably his best game, a uh, pass defense and four tackles, uh, pretty much would you say equal parts, these guys getting some more experience and also just some more Jimmy Lake sorcery for this one. Yeah, this is uh, obviously a high turnover area that we've talked about before compared to last year. Uh, but as we've also mentioned, this is a very uh, talent-rich uh, unit on the not only the defense, but just the team in general, probably the most talented uh, unit on the team. And uh, they're really kind of coming into form now. Now, you mentioned a few mistakes by Cam Williams. He blew the coverage over the top for the USC's 44-yard touchdown near the end of the third quarter to Michael Pittman Jr. Also had that pursuit angle, uh, poor pursuit angle on Brandon Carr's 60-yard scamper uh, in the middle of the third. He just completely whiffed on the sideline, um, which we've seen before in a previous games, him taking a poor pursuit angle. Those are things that he can he can uh, clean up over time. I'm not too concerned. The more impressive thing is just the more instinctual plays, which are intercepting two passes, uh, one of which was you know, down near the goal line to stop a drive for uh, for USC. And that also leads me to Elijah Molden, who had a huge INT on on the UW goal line as well. So our, our turnovers came, or t- at least two of them, two of the interceptions came at pretty opportune times. Uh, that Elijah Molden interception was basically the turning point of the game, having um, USC could have cut that, that lead or our lead to one possession. Instead, Molden picks it off. Savan Ahmed rips off an 89-yard touchdown two plays later, and essentially a 14-point swing. So, um, yeah, it's it was pretty impressive by the UW defense uh, against a team, a USC team that's now regarded as an air raid offense. So, by my uh, calculations, UW under Chris Peters is now six and zero against <laughs> air raid offenses. Yeah, although if you watch Wazoo play on Saturday, I don't know if you can call them an air raid offense or or an offense in general anymore. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, with Cam Williams, especially, I think you're seeing the, the lumps, the, the missed tackle you talked about earlier in the season, uh, that was against Eastern for their only touchdown or their big long touchdown of that game. Um, so that was game one. This was what game five. And we're still kind of seeing those, uh, albeit against stiffer competition, but 
I mean, there's some logic there of, of given this team's struggles of creating turnovers last year, that something like that where you kind of have a, a two steps backward, three steps forward type guy who can just get you turnovers uh, like Williams has is is kind of a, a welcome part of this defense because like we've talked about before, teams may feel more empowered to throw on this defensive backfield than they have against the Huskies in the past. Yeah, I mean, you're going up against... I mean, obviously, Miles Bryan is there. He's proven. Keith Taylor is pretty proven at this point. But then outside of that, uh, you have some unknown entities in Cam Williams, Trent McDuffie, and Kyler Gordon, who are all uh, true freshmen or redshirt freshmen, Mm. um, along with Elijah Molden, who has produced in the past, but he's never really been given that um, key position to really make his – or that starting position position to really make a stamp on the game, which I think we saw – uh, this weekend and I would I I feel like Elijah Molden could be that guy that Miles Bryant is today for us He could be that guy in the coming years because he's looking really good I was surprised that that was his first uh, career interception because I just felt like he's played so well in past uh, Games and you know last season But then you also have the likes of Trent McDuffie He's a true freshman coming in and he lead, leading the team in tackles with nine tackles this weekend uh, looks to be the part uh, kind of reminds me of when Taylor Rapp came in the fold uh, as a true freshman mm. and just came out of nowhere. McDuffie was a little bit more highly regarded out of high school, but that being said, I don't think any of us would have expected McDuffie to be the set, uh, starting cornerback by by this point in the season uh, so far. Yeah, both of those guys, Rapp and McDuffie, that's a good point, coming on uh, a little bit early in their freshman years. Or, or It took a while for them to become in the fold. Uh, McDuffie got some early playing time on special teams in the first couple games, but um, really has been, you know, he, he's in there now. He's he's one of the guys. Uh, Miles, Gore, or Miles Bryant and Elijah Molden, maybe your two best defensive players. Um, I, think, I think Miles Bryant, pretty safe that you could say that. He made like a backside tackle on a running back who was going left. He came all the way from the from the right side outside the tackle and made the made the tackle. God, like he, he plays like a linebacker, can play corner, play safety. Um, there was an Adam Jude anecdote this week about how he like uh, Trey Adams said he was like one of the hardest guys to block because he gets so low um, as a pass rusher. So. Yeah, Miles Bryant indispensable for this defense, um, and I would hope this never, never, never comes off. A couple things here: the Jimmy Lake part of it, because um, we saw last year against Wazoo, the strategy being let's just put seven defensive backs in the field or six defensive backs, yep. um, and kind of do this modified dime type defense, and that was to, to to handle Wazoo where they kind of spread everything out. Where USC they attack downfield, um, a lot of vertical routes. And then what they did here, and heard this is from Michael Pittman Jr. saying uh, they were stacking, so they were bailing back and pressing, pressing up front. So they basically have one corner just yep. hit at the line of scrimmage uh, and then take away anything short. And then right behind him uh, is another guy running with that receiver. Um, and so that's what you saw in the Pittman touchdown was the Keith Taylor taking him away short and then uh, Cam Williams coming over the top. Williams was a little bit late getting up. Um, but, uh, from Pittman, he says it didn't throw us off, but I feel like we didn't know that they were going to come in and do that. I just wasn't expecting them to come in and play like that. Pretty awesome. Yeah, that... I definitely good. I, yeah, I know. I noticed that I, I had not seen that, uh, type of strategy employed before by Jimmy Lake, but it was interesting to have two guys on one wide receiver, at least on the outside. Um, you even saw the likes of, I believe Asa Turner got out there and would jam, jam him here and there. So he got mm-hmm. some burn as well. 
Um, so I like the different the different um, kind of looks they're giving the, these offenses to keep them on their toes. Um, you mentioned Keith Taylor, and I feel like he sometimes is the forgotten person in the secondary just because we don't necessarily hear about him all the time. Um, I think he's had some penalty issues so far this season. Uh, yeah, BYU is tough like for to see him. That- yeah, would like to see that cleaned up a bit. But that being said, you got to recognize that Michael Pittman had 10 receptions for 232 yards last week against Utah. I think you saw this stat already. And um, to compare, he only gave up 64 yards to Pittman, who he was on for the majority of the day, 44 of which came on that uh, long touchdown reception in which he wasn't really to blame. Um, so, yeah, it just goes to show that he's able to go up with arguably some of the best wide receivers in the conference and lock them down on his day. Yeah, and I think a lot of people would regard that Utah secondary um, as having more more face value talent right now. Um, Jalen Johnson, a couple other guys back there that'll, that'll be on NFL rosters next year. So uh, obviously there was a weird, weird USC game and for a lot of reasons against Utah, but it was good to see these guys step up. One last note on the defensive backs before we move on. Uh, First ga- first interception for uh, that that great uh, defensive backfield class of a couple years ago, uh, Sidney Jones. It took him until his 11th game of his first full season to get a pick. Kevin King, his hmm. 13th game. Buda Baker, his 14th. Didn't happen until the the bowl game uh, against Oklahoma State. So uh, these guys, just from an interception uh, interception front, are uh, are ahead of schedule in that regard, or just the the Cam Williams part of it, I guess. But um, but the fact that these guys hmm. are making an impact now shows that you know great ones don't necessarily have to be stat stuffers right off the bat uh, to get there. To, uh, That's a good sign, though. Yeah, yeah. A uh, lot of a uh, lot of box scores <laughs> looked at to find that one, and how, how valuable <laughs> you all found say. that one. But uh, quite a nugget. <laughs> yeah, that's the hard work we're talking about here. Um, all right, you add second down uh, to the offense. We go. I think it, it goes without saying. Uh, this has been a great um, last couple of games uh, that have what he's been healthy. Uh, from Savon Ahmed, um, the the 89 yard touchdown was awesome. Uh, the patience, um, and then you know a couple cuts in the backfield, but always looking for the hole, and then just hit it and hit it very hard and fast because of of his gifts. Um, it was kind of like Miles Gaskins behind the line strategy, and then Savon Ahmed's uh, explosiveness above the line, um, just just in in the the, co- the couple big carries that that he's had this season. Um, so that's that's really good to see out of Ahmed. Yeah, he had 17 carries for 153 yards in that 89-yard touchdown. So a lot of that, a lot of those 150 yard, three yards were amassed on that one play. But I mean, you can't say enough about the move he made against the. I think they had a safety coming up in the hole there and just totally shook him. And then once he's into the second level and has clear space ahead of him, there's no one that's really going to stop him on the football field. He's just that quick. Uh, so like, like I said previously, huge turning point in the game. Um, I was a little surprised the, that Sean McGrew only got two carries. I guess that's just a product of the depth chart. Give, um, even though he had over a hundred yards last week against BYU. So, um, would have liked to see a little bit more, uh, given his way, but Richard Newton had nine carries only for 20 yards, but he banged in a touchdown. So, uh, in typical Dick Newton fashion, doing what he does best. Um, Sledgehammer yeah, Dick, I, I as they that, call him. <laughs> exactly. Uh, 
I'm actually when I'm looking at these this box score, it's kind of interesting to see the USC side of things with the fact that they had guys go for seven, ten, and ten carries. So they obviously spread the wealth a little bit more, but um, and that burned us, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, I I like the I like the balance that that Chris Peterson brings. To no surprise, that's usually kind of his thing. Um, I don't know. Did you have any gripes on our our main guy Bush Hamden this week or yeah no, I think everything's getting a little bit better and I the let me ask you this first of all um what is the play or action that uh that the Huskies run that you get most excited about like what 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 uh what's kind of the 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 like what's happening on offense for the Huskies when it when it looks the best for this year's team at least hurry up well, it's always been it's been hurry up for the past three years. Yeah, hurry you up. You want a specific play though? Hurry up is great. My what I'm thinking here is the uh, is play action with Kate Otten and Hunter Bryant as your yeah. your guys yeah. because early a nice drag exactly early in that game you had uh, Hunter Bryant and and Kate Otten both lead blocking out to the left uh, for a big gain and then to have those same guys stay on the field and now they're not blockers they're they're very dangerous and both capable guys running across the middle of the field, um, I think is, is it's, it's this team's best shot. Uh, it's when this team looks the absolute best and can most easily pick up, um, pick up chunk plays. Mm-hmm. That being said, I don't, I don't know if you can run that enough times. And I, and we saw once there was a deep, deep throw over the middle to Hunter Bryant on a play action that he had, I actually kind of dropped on the way down. Um, and then there was a big Kate Otten catch uh, that he caught over the middle and was kind of doing the old Chris Berman rumbling, bumbling, stumbling. Um, so you see it, you see it a good couple times a game, but um, that type of downfield action uh, we didn't really see much. You didn't see the just the as we talked about a couple games ago against Cal, just the you know with with that arm that Easton has, it's worth a shot a quarter to go downfield to to Bacellia, to Fuller uh, to try and hit something down the field. And you didn't really see that too much. With this team, obviously you're you're playing USC. There's a talent aspect of it that you don't want to attack that secondary too much uh, because those guys have great ball skills. Um, but I just I just feel like the aggressiveness is uh, is a little bit lacking, especially when um, the the much maligned play out of the USC game was the the kind of the tight end reverse that that wasn't. Yep. Um, it was a fumbled botched play. Uh, Hunter Bryant kind of pitched it to no one. USC uh, was blitzing from that side, just completely blew up the play. Um, and both Bush Hamden and Chris Peterson said after the game, you know, we're going to stay aggressive. That's our thing. And, um, so that's, that's one thing you can say aggressive and that is definitely being aggressive. You're, you're, you're not just running, you know, straight up and running right down the middle at them. Um, but aggressive can just be a word unless it's just, it, you know, it needs to be more of a mindset that this is, this is something that you're, you're incorporating into every single drive. Um, and an example where that didn't happen, just to, to not just cherry pick here, um, but the 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 drive where Aaron Fuller he catches it, uh, he fair catches the ball at like the four, um, which was unfortunate. Yep. But then yep. and you get a penalty, so now it's first and twelve. And then you just go there, there's no time aspect here. You just go run, run, delay of game, and then it's third and long. And what do you do? You finally pass. Uh, but just run, run, pass is like the most boring. Uh, low success rate offense in that case, um, especially when you. I just don't know if you have any real reason with that offensive line to worry about uh, Jacob Eason holding up um, for for a long toss downfield at that point. 
Yeah, and not to get too sidetracked, but that that uh, fair catch at the five was kind of brutal because you you probably lost 15 to 20 yards there. I, I honestly don't know where the touchback is on punts, if it's a 20 or the 25. Yeah. Um, so we're just going to say 15 or 20 yards there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you know, we, we catch at the five. We actually go backwards. Um, we get a delay a game. Uh, we punt it from our own two, and USC gets the ball starting on our own 39. They end up going um, in for their first score of the game. Uh, so, I mean, who knows if 20 yards would have made a difference on that drive, but it just was kind of a waterfall of unfortunate uh, things to occur there. So, um, obviously, Fuller needs to be a little bit smarter. Um, that being said, back to your point about the tight end reverse and mm. being aggressive. I think you need to gauge what aggressive is from a, I don't want to say carelessness standpoint, but calculated risk standpoint. Um, aggressive to me is using Jacob Eason's arm talent right. and just, you know, throwing it downfield and getting players into space. And we have the type of people who can break free from their coverage Um and make those catches. So I would rather see us be aggressive in that regard than having to run a trick play on teams, which I think has been something has been somewhat of a question to, on Peterson his entire time uh, at UW. I know that a lot of trick plays, a lot of uh, wide receiver passes have worked in our favor, but uh, I th- I've thought sometimes we've done it when we don't really need to because ultimately we just are the better team. So I don't know. I just just something to think about moving forward. I guess. Yeah, you've seen a lot less of the uh, the the double pass play that used to be almost. It felt like every game that you were seeing seeing yeah, something Pettis. like yeah the Pettis the Marvin Hall play um, that type of play was especially useful when UW had trouble um, attacking downfield on their own. So you have to generate that somehow. But as you said, uh, the, the recipe's right there. You don't have to deviate from it by you know with with Jacob Eason that play alone being aggressive in that regard. Um, is is both you know you're putting your hands putting the ball in the hands of of a reliable playmaker in himself and Eason, uh, but then also not having to uh, add risk into the situation by having two two reverses uh, in involving a tight end. You know it's just kind of a, a weird play, especially when you know the, there were indicators there that that was, that blitz was coming from that side uh, and not checking out of it. So a little bit weird there, and it, it's it is nitpicky. It's one play, and as Chris Peterson said, the the trick play to to Ackman for the two point conversion that was awesome, right? Like like that was a, a really cool play, and it worked well yeah. because it was it was uh, executed you know precisely as it needed to be. Um, but then you know another trick play just has higher consequences there with with the uh, with the Bryant's thing. So yeah, I mean I'm with you that that. Uh, attacking downfield with this quarterback um, is is a, a thing that not a lot of teams in the country have in terms of the arm talent. So um, so use it. Just to, here's a, a a little nugget here to, to back up what I'm saying about being aggressive. Um, this is from a 538 article last September, and it's, it's writing about the NFL. Uh, but it says that the average uh, rushing success rate on second and long, so when it's 7 to 10 yards, for the league is just 27% in terms of picking up, um, you know, a sizable chunk of, of yards that gets you closer to third and short. 
uh, versus that number being 46% for passing. So a massive difference. The average of 18.7 percentage points in pass run differential is only slightly lower than the 19.3 percentage points on first down. And this is despite teams passing 11 percentage points more often than mm-hmm. on first down. So all of a sudden you get into second long and you, your instinct is just pick up a couple yards for, for to, to get closer or to not make this worse. Um, but all you're doing is just making it a harder third down um, in this case when, you know, the negligible difference of if you get from second and 12 to uh, third and eight, what's the difference between third and eight and third and 12 um, in that case? So uh, just just a point here on how the Huskies attack. And they actually did a good job of, of passing on second and long uh, for the most part in that game. But but more more basis for what I'm talking about here. Uh, any other gripes or, or comments on the offense? Anyone else that's standing out in a positive way for you? Uh, not any more grapes than we've already talked about or discussed previously. Um, I did, I wish we saw a little bit more Chico. I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen him as much this season. Um, he did open the game with, I believe like a 19 yard carry. And then I believe he was actually the guy who converted that two point conversion, but Mm -hmm. uh, that was basically it, uh, for him, which is potentially a product of just having too many playmakers available, um, but I would like to see him inclu- involved more because he can obviously break open the, a game pretty quickly with his, with his, uh, just overall talent. So yeah, maybe more inclusion of him. Yeah, for sure. And especially when, when you think, um, just from a tendency standpoint in terms of what they're putting on tape and they, the Huskies are probably fully aware of this, but it seems like Chico McClatcher's on the field to do a jet sweep action. And, uh, until yep. you break that tendency, teams are going to get smart on that. Um, so they have an opportunity and a guy who's made plenty of catches down the field, especially thinking back to that 2016 year. Um, he was, he was lethal downfield. So, um, so a good thing to, to note there. Uh, let's move to the defensive side of the ball again and talk about a different unit. We won't spend too much time on this, but, um, I think it's pretty clear here that the linebackers are the, uh, the, the key weakness of this defense, uh, Kyler Manu and Brandon Wellington have both had good moments this season. Uh, Manu sack early in that USC game was was obviously big to to build, building momentum. Wellington scoop against BYU was was obviously huge, um, but these guys are out of position often. They are blocked often, and I also think that that uh, the six defensive backs in the field um, is is a little is a product of of these guys' limitations. Uh, but because it leaves us so lean, a lot of the the run stoppage will will uh, fold or will fall on these guys. So something's got to give here. Yeah, it's a it's a little tough to uh, I think it's a little tough to to really come down on them too hard after this week just because you're playing that Graham Harrell air raid offense uh, at USC and like you mentioned that means you have pretty much every play six defensive backs in there um, so you know you're rushing three and you only have five in the box five the other two being obviously Manu and Wellington so. Um, they were able to gash us a bit in the run game. Um, that's just because there's so much space in the box for them to break through. Uh, so that is a bit tough, but at the same time, that's obviously something that we knew they were doing and really couldn't stop. Stephen Carr went for seven carries, 94 yards, 60 of which run that one play we mentioned earlier. And then Marquis Stepp had 10 for 62 and Va- Vave Malapi- 
Malapii. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> also had 10 carries for 49. So, I mean, they spread the wealth pretty well, as I mentioned previously. Um, that was definitely their calling card. I think they amassed, you know, a little over 200 yards against us. So, but that that also harks back to the Jimmy Lake bend up but don't break, keep everything in front of us type thing, which I guess at the end of the day, for the most part, we did, other than the 44-yard touchdown and the 60-yard run by Carr. So I feel like he still can be happy overall with the with the performance of the defense. Yeah, the uh, the spread them out uh, aspect of, of USC's attack and of other teams that the Huskies will face and have faced uh, does leave Wellington Manu in positions where they have to make plays in space, which is difficult for any linebacker. And it's what made Ben Burkirvan so great is how much how much uh, ground he could cover. Um, and these guys are, are not used to that um, or not as equipped to do that. Uh, but even just the, the Matt Fink touchdown, the zone read uh, from five, six yards yep. out. Uh, Brendan Wellington just not quick enough reacting to that play, um, and that's not that's not Stephon Carr. That's a guy named Matt Fink, um, who you know, yeah. nimble there, but but uh, not a not a breaker by any means. Um, so just that type of play is something that is completely on those linebackers to snuff, um, getting outside of the of the tackles there, and um, and just have to get better at it. So luck, lucky. Um, or, or fortunate in this point to to not have to be tested too d- tough on that, but um, against elite teams that can do both, spread you out and run on you, um, those guys have got to make plays. One note before we move to fourth down here, uh, Levi Anwuzurike, a name that we have not talked about uh, much, very yeah. unsung in his role, uh, just a, a big pressure guy, kind of in the Greg Gaines role last year. Uh, he was on uh, Pro Football Focus's second team defense for interior uh, defense the defensive line nice. this week. So uh, we may not notice you, Levi, because our stupid brains can't hit, can't uh, process interior <laughs> line play, uh, but pro football focus can. And uh, for that, there we, we appreciate you. Uh, fourth down, uh, a lot of people uh, listening to this podcast might think this this is should, what we should have been leading the podcast with. Uh, but uh, some news broke on Friday as Savelle Smalls, the number nine recruit in the country, um, and I found out that he was the number nine recruit in the country by going to the 2020 rankings and then seeing first that four of the top five recruits in the country have either committed to or are leaning towards Clemson. So that was kind of sad. Um, but yeah, Savelle Smalls, top 10 recruit in the country, uh, former Garfield player, now plays at Kennedy, um, committed to the Huskies, which is a big, big deal. Um, but I think I would argue that this would be a bigger deal if he didn't go to UW, given that he is so close uh, from Burien. Um, this is the type of kid that it's great that they came, but you, you got to keep kids like this. Yeah. And this has kind of been an issue in past seasons of recruiting, uh, with Peterson unable to keep the big five-star guys that are local in the state and at UW, I can think of Zach Banner, um, Garnett, I believe. Yeah. Josh um, Garnett, those are, those are both, Josh Garnett. Yeah. Those are both, uh, Sark guys for sure. But, but oh, it's, okay. it's been enough. a, it's been a, a an issue it's been a problem for the program for a while. Yep. So the ability to, to get a guy like this now, granted, we should mention that he has already cut the Huskies from his recruitment and then brought us back in and then com- verbally committed. So I'm still <laughs> taking this with somewhat of a grain of salt to this point. But if everything, you know, holds up, it will be quite an addition to an already stacked recruiting class that now ranks 12th nationally and first in the Pac-12, 
according to 247's uh, composite rankings. Uh, Savelle Smalls, I believe, if I remember correctly, uh, in his post-commitment interview on Dogman, he said he was uh, 6'4", 245, which is just absurd for a high schooler right now. There's a there's a picture out on Twitter from two years ago, him as a sophomore, standing next to Ndamukong Sue, and he literally like looks bigger than Sue. At least he's taller. It's pretty absurd. Um, but yeah, he's he's the third highest rated recruit, according to 247, that uh, the Huskies have reeled in since 2000. Only um, Shaq Thompson and Reggie Williams are higher rated based on their composite rankings, which is an aggregate of all major ranking websites. So um, just by that alone, I know a lot of people, you know, will scoff at stars and for, for a lot of good reasons, but this is one that you can probably bet on will be an impact maker at the outside linebacker slash buck position. And it, and not to, you know, carry on here, but the fact that we actually withdrew an offer from a highly regarded um, recruit, recruit out of California and Jordan Banks in order to lock up Smalls just shows the amount of um, just talent that that Smalls brings to the table. Yeah, yeah, not uh, not a great political move to do something like that. It did seem like that was no. that was a little forced. Um, but also, I was talking yeah. to some buddies uh, on on Friday night about what what if a player just made teams do that of like, okay, you have to put this out there that you've stopped recruiting this guy um, and just did that to teams across the country um, and just, just <laughs> continue to ruin them. Um, if you have enough power, I, I, that's, that's the one way you can get back to the NCAA is, is through something yeah. like that. Uh, I found the smalls Sue picture. You're totally right. Smalls um, is at least taller, um, but does not look tiny compared to, uh, to Adamic no. Sue, who is um, a, behemoth of, of a person so a mountain of a man yeah, yeah and if you watch I, I allowed myself to watch the first two minutes of of high school highlights uh in quite some time but uh smalls is 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 special uh, stuff definitely jumps yep. off the off the screen there um he's probably gonna be one of those guys that could start or should start right off the bat but uh chris peterson will probably be super coy about it until the very end and then his backup yep. will transfer when he learns that he's not starting um <laughs> that's kind of how i predict this to go Classic. i don't know why but yeah um yeah yeah he uh he definitely was outspoken after he announced that he wants to play immediately um and then just speaking about this weekend he followed up his commitment with a pick six in his in Kennedy's 48 to zero uh, win on Saturday afternoon against Tahoma and he threw up the dubs after scoring so that's always a good sign throwing up after scoring would be pretty cool too no one's done that from a celebration perspective <laughs> as far as I know at least well I mean I mean I mean would you say getting Christmas or gifts from Santa scoring because then you would fall in that category. It's true. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's a story we can hit uh, at another time. But yeah, your boy <laughs> used to get pretty excited about, about Christmas. Um, and uh, so excited. One of my favorite stories ever. <laughs> yeah. And this is, it's a multi-year story um, that both my parents can happily corroborate. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's all that needs to be said about that. Let's move on to <laughs> fifth down. We're doing five downs today. Oh, yeah. Uh, untimed, wow. untimed down here. Um, Stanford okay. is up on the schedule. Um, to my my anxiety about this game and the spread on this game are worlds apart. 
16-point favorites, the Huskies are. Uh, we have not won at the farm since 2007 uh, when Jake Locker and Lewis Rankin oh. were running the speed option. Uh, looking great, by the way. Um, but uh, it has been a minute, and Stanford usually does does us pretty good. Uh, this is not your mother Stanford team, though. Uh, 100, no. 101st in points per play. Not too unusual for them not to be explosive, uh, but they had their best game of the week of their season last year in that regard, and still 101st. Uh, last year's rushing attack struggled at just 3.65 yards per carry, very not Stanford-like, uh, 98th in the country this year in 3.59 yards per carry, so they're even worse. Uh, last year is all about their passing attack. Uh, KJ Costello was uh, was crazy good last year, 8.4 yards per attempt for Stanford, throwing the ball downfield this year down to 6.1. Uh, ain't much better on defense, 127th in the nation in third down conversion percentage and they give up 9.4 yards per passing attempt. Uh, Stanford is a tough watch right now, but I am still scared about this game. How do you feel? Uh, I feel pretty confident, but I do share that that l- level of you know cautious optimism that I think you have just because uh, Stanford has had our number, as you mentioned. Um, they've beaten Northwestern to begin the season, beat them by 10, and then lost to USC by 15, um, or sorry, 25, and then lost to UCF, which was a 38-0 game at one point, so mm-hmm. not close. And then Oregon beat them 21-6. to um, Then they escaped in Corvallis this past weekend, 31-28 to against Oregon State. And I think if everybody, anybody knows about Oregon State in recent years, uh, beating them by three is not really that much of a win, which pains me to say it because we love our beeves here. Go beeves. Um, Build the but, dam. Yeah, go Goldby, <laughs> but uh, they are with they have been without KJ Costello for a few games. Uh, he's been battling with some injuries. Most recently, he hurt his hand. Uh, to be determined if he will play against the Huskies. But uh, Davis Mill has gotten the start in his stead. Um, he didn't play that bad. He put up 245 yards and three touchdowns with no picks, but um, just not enough. They just don't seem to have enough playmakers on that offense. They're missing the likes of Arcega Whiteside, who was just a mismatch every down. Um, another just fun fact is I realized earlier this this week that Cameron Scarlett still plays with them. So he falls <laughs> under the Steven Montez uh, ninth season with the yes. same program. Uh, category yeah so i was just there's on, that interesting fact <laughs> i was just on uh cam scarlet's like uh sports reference page and it, it it's not seven obviously because that's impossible but i think it is actually six rows of of uh of seasons that he has accrued <laughs> at stanford which is pretty incredible uh, wow. seems like he's been the backup uh since toby gerhardt was there yeah, uh, but they do not. They do not have the JGR or Sega Whiteside Death Cannon uh, touchdown machine that they that they used often last year. Thank uh, God. Gone in his place is Colby Parkinson, uh, who's also six seven, um, and they is used similarly. His only touchdown of the season came last week against Oregon State, um, but that's definitely a, a weapon they have in their back pocket. And as we saw uh, with Husky struggling to cover Matt Bushman, the uh, the BYU. Um, the BYU tight end. Uh, we'll see how they yep. they try and make this work um, against a guy that you can't really just stick Miles Bryant on, um, but you can't really stick Keith Taylor on him either because of where he lines up on the field. So we will see how that goes. Um, I think for for this one, it's important that uh, UW kind of establishes themselves early um, and not not let this crowd in this game. Um, and just similar to BYU, where it was pretty clear within 
five, ten minutes of that game that the Huskies were the better team and, and were going to impose their will uh, however they wanted to, passing downfield, running the ball um, defensively, whatever it takes, because this is a fragile Stanford team. Um, and even even you know having to to uh, almost have to get have to bail themselves out against against Oregon State last week, um, jumping them early, I think is going to be very important. Yeah, and um, one thing that is nice is there will be no atmosphere down there, so we won't have to deal with any <laughs> with any uh, you know road woes from a from a stadium uh, atmosphere standpoint. Uh, normally, just a Stanford crowd. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I have some some personal demons at at, uh, at at the farm that I left there my junior year. Um, in the game that yeah. the the infamous Kevin Smith drop or or no no catch. Um, that ended on a review um, as the Huskies were trying to drive and make that a tie game. Um, ASJ drop oh. on that drive. That was that was a tough one. So this one is to avenge yes. those demons. And even a couple years ago, were, were we up like 14 nothing against them? And then they just, Bryce Love just slaughtered us uh, in Stanford yeah, a couple years ago. That, that was that was tough to watch as well. It yeah. was That was the Miles Bryan against our Sega Whiteside. Uh, death Cannon, yeah. Yeah, I almost happen. got ran over by a train that night too. So that was just a bad night altogether. You talking metaphorically or a real? No, a literal train got stuck on the tracks in an intersection. Yeah, Ooh. about ten seconds away from not being here right now. Huh? From actually passing away. Yeah. That's too bad. Yeah, I think uh, my grandpa had a heart attack in the back seat. But <laughs> story from a different day. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're leaving a lot of stories on the table here for our our. Yeah. vast audience i'm sure they're all just tantalized about them oh yeah uh let's move to our favorite little conference a uh, little rundown here pack 12 after dark uh asu cal on friday night uh, based off of his performance uh with the team and then now without as an as an injured guy chase garbers might be the conference mvp that team completely fell off the rails offensively uh not that they had much to begin with once he once he went down against asu uh with a shoulder injury Devin Monster put up the incredible line here, 5 of 14 for 23 yards in relief of Chase Garbers. Yeah, and I was texting my buddy Cameron, who's a UCLA fan, when this was unfolding because Monster used to play for UCLA. And uh, he was like, yep, just wait. Here we go. And lo and behold, (laughs) their offense just completely shuts down with him at the helm, which is too bad because – Cal was looking pretty good and obviously wanting to see them win because, you know, we lost to him. So um, that was disappointing. I mean, Garbers was 9 for 12 for 117 yards and a touchdown through, uh, you know, a quarter and a half of play there. So he was – they were they were on their way to probably pulling out that win before he got hurt. So, I mean, who knows what will happen, but it looks like he's going to be out for quite a while. Yeah, I think the spread against Oregon reflects that. Um, a game that was probably one of the early games of the season, uh, Cal-Oregon this yep. week, um, is now a 17.5-point duck spread. Um, thank you, Devin Monster. Uh, OSU-Stanford, we <laughs> talked a little bit about. Uh, OSU actually outgained Stanford by like 150 yards, uh, and they missed uh, two field goals in the first half, including a 50-yarder because – uh, why not take that when you have a struggling kicker uh, and they lost by three. So that's, that's tough for the beefs, but uh, a dam wasn't built in a day as, as they say uh, UCLA Stanford, UCLA still a little bit drunk from the Wazoo game. Understandably uh, Arizona quarterback, uh, the new guy, um, some, some name with two G's in it, uh, not gauge Gubra. Gunnell. Uh, yeah, there we go. Um, Grant Gunnell. Wow. Graham Gano. Is that what she said? Uh, close. Grant 
Gunnell. <laughs> there you go. Uh, he's way less cool than Kalia Tate, but played really, really, really well. Uh, UCLA misses a field goal to tie it at the end of it. Um, and uh, so on we go. Utah, Wazoo. I feel like we need to. Uh, I feel like we need to have a um, Chip Kelly counter here, uh, just as a weekly segment. Uh, he's now four and thirteen as a head coach, losing to a backup quarterback and backup running back in Arizona. So, anyways, carry on. Yeah, but he now, <laughs> Not owns, he now owns the two of the wackiest games in college football history. Um, it's true. The one game that where the Boise where the Legarrette Blunt punched. Uh, a Boise State player, and uh, the one that happened last week um, are definitely in my top ten of, of whack yes. out games. Utah yes. Wazoo, the uh, the nightcap for the Pac-12 After Dark audience. Uh, Utah with no Zach Moss wins thirty-eight to thirteen. It's a big win for the Tyler Huntley Appreciation Nation. Um, it's a it's a mm-hmm. exclusive group. Uh, we'll let you in. You're if, in it. If you, yeah, oh yeah, founding member. Um, but I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you on your your thoughts on uh, Mike Leach's now infamous. Uh, our team is fat, dumb, and entitled line uh, that, that he dropped after the game. So uh, this is actually my great cat of the week, so I'll just get my great cat out of the way. Just jump and, it, jump and, it. And, yeah, I'm jumping the gun here. Uh, he described the Cougars as fat, dun, dumb, happy, and entitled. Uh, quote, we're a very soft team. We get a lot of good press. We like to read it a lot. We like to pat ourselves on the back, and if we get any resistance, we fold. I think we've got a bunch of free agents running around there that think they're pretty special, and then as soon as something doesn't go their way, they want to pout. Um, obviously not surprised to hear Mike Leach say this. He's had a lot of lines like this over his career. My issue with it is by all means say it, but say it behind closed doors because it's a lot of n- negative press that I don't think really helps your team. Um, I think you could have gotten the same motivating factors from it somehow if you had just said it to your team behind closed doors. So uh, I thought that was kind of poor from him, but there's a lot of people out there that like it. I understand that because it makes things interesting. But uh, personally, I would be I would be pretty upset if a coach of the Huskies said that publicly. Yeah, so I have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, first of all, what good press are, did they get after the UCLA game that, that, that their team was reading, uh, other than like the nine touchdown <laughs> th- passes part of it, I guess, of like, wow, mm-hmm. you know, Wazoo puts up video game numbers in loss or something like that. But I don't know who was writing that headline after after that collapse. No. Um, I also think that a lot of this, this happens in context. So it's not like what, Mike Leach hadn't probably reamed the team out behind closed doors after the UCLA game sure. and, and the team didn't meet the challenge. I mean, I've, I've heard coaches that, that, you know, many people would regard as, as very, very good coaches. Um, even, even, uh, well, I'll finish my thought there. Um, publicly criticized their team. Uh, Brad Stevens uh, for the Celtics comes to mind a couple years ago when I was, when I was listening to, to sports radio down there um, in New Bedford, Mass. Shouts out, go Whalers. Uh, Anyways, Brad Stevens came out and said, like, our team needs to get tougher. We're not, we are we don't play hard enough right now. Um, and that's Brad Stevens, who's, like, an absolutely a player's coach. And so I get mm-hmm. that this might be, like, attempt number two or three to toughen his team up and make them res- respond to something. Um, but I do think that there is something to to be said. There's a coaching adage of, of essentially take blame in defeat and then challenge in victory. And so – after a big loss, you say, you know, this is on me. We're going we're to focus and get better. Um, and then after a win, you kind of deflate the win and, and talk about everything that needs to, to get tuned up after that to kind of bring the team back down 
uh, to the back up to the middle or down to the middle after a result. Um, and, and that's pretty tried and true and something that I, 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 I think is, 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 you know, pretty reasonable from a human psychology perspective. Think about what Tim Tebow did after the Ole Miss loss, right? When he gets up there and says like, you'll never see a play, player play harder than me, all that. Like that's kind of the, the embodiment of that. Um, even thinking back to the last two weeks of mistakes with the botched field goal, uh, fake field goal, and then the um, botched tight end reverse with the Huskies, Chris Peterson took the blame both times for that. Whether or not that was actually his fault or not, he just kind of snuffs that fire and says, you know, those those are on me. We got to get better in that. Um, not quite apples to apples there, but it is interesting just from a, a coaching and a, and a leadership's perspective of uh, Leach's choice to, to to do what he did. Yeah, and I, I like the I like the kind of you know bringing everybody back to a central kind of focus, whether it be a, a high on a win or low on a loss. Uh, there's a Peterson adage here that I'm totally blanking on, where he basically describes exactly that. Um, so I think that works pretty well because obviously you know you have that kind of like 24 hour period, and then it's focused on the next week. Um, to Mike Leach's point specifically, I think. Um, the way you mentioned Brad Stevens, I'm sure Brad Stevens relayed that to the media in a little bit more of a professional manner. (laughs) I guess my issue is the whole fat, dumb, happy, entitled. I feel like if he's going to say something like that about his, his team, uh, or the general idea, I think he could deliver it a little bit more professionally, but I mean, who am I talking about right now? So (laughs) I mean whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fat, fat, dumb, happy and entitled, uh, resonates a lot different with professional athletes probably than, than it would with, with college <laughs> kids too. So interesting. It'll be interesting to see how the team responds because I, I don't think that this Wazoo team is as bad as that result. Um, and they were very well on their way to winning against UCLA. If both those things are different, um, you know, this, this team is somewhere in the middle between all of that. Um, so maybe this team completely folds or maybe they, they respond, but, uh, only time will tell. This week we got Arizona going to Boulder in uh, in what should be an interesting game. Uh, Cal and Oregon, um, as as talked about, mm-hmm. uh, Oregon State and UCLA, uh, one for the Chip Kelly counter there, and then UW Stanford. Oh, yeah. So pretty light week, um, other than uh, the the Cal Oregon game, which obviously took a big hit. Uh, over the weekend. So to the party scene we go. I can't believe we're doing this because last year we lost our minds talking about how Syracuse just lets Clemson off the hook in an ACC game where that looked like probably the only shot any team in that conference had to beat Clemson. And guess who mm-hmm. does it again? The ACC, North Carolina. Uh, horrible play call. I love, the, I love the move to go for two to beat Clemson. Uh, sure. But the option to the sideline against a team that's much faster than you um, ain't going to do it. Clemson survives and that will be it <laughs> for their season. They'll figure it out and had, destroy everyone. I actually hadn't seen the play. So that's disappointing to hear that it was a East West as opposed, as opposed to a North South play on the two, I guess going into the bulk of Clemson's defense is a bit daunting. Um, that being said, I don't know if this loss really would have done anything. Because Clemson's most likely going to win out and be, you know, automatically get into the college football playoffs. So, as much of a miss as this seems, uh, I think at the end of the season it wouldn't have really factored in. I think they still would have gotten in just because they're 
you know, so talented and have beaten teams pretty handily thus far and usually grow into the season as well. So, um, yeah, tough to it would have been nice to see the upset, but I don't know if it is that big of a miss. Yeah, I mean, I think that unless North Carolina ended up as like an eight and four team, it would be tough to to rationalize Clemson over, say, undefeated Oklahoma or undefeated Wisconsin uh, for that last spot, because I assume that only between between Alabama, Georgia and LSU uh, two or even one of those three teams is going to make the playoff. So, and Ohio State obviously is is just murder right now. So we'll see yeah. how, how it all shakes out. But um, such an easy blemish that could have been handed to Clemson, just blown once again in a very similar fashion to what we saw last year with the Syracuse game. Yeah, yeah. Only uh, only rank or one of the two ranked games this week. Uh, Iowa and Michigan is another one, but that um, is just an absolute bummer of a game. Uh, probably end up in the like 19 to 12 and a half uh, finish in that game. <laughs> uh, but anyways, Auburn and Florida in what should be an interesting one uh, in a who is yep. a real team type game. Um, yep. Methinks the answer is Auburn, but uh, who knows? I, I hope so. It, it, in a, it kind of indirectly helps the Pac-12 via the Oregon loss. So <laughs> True. Yes, very true. Got to think of it. Uh, Auburn is essentially our surrogate child in the SEC. Um, <laughs> that's a weird thought. Um, Gus Malzahn is anyone's <laughs> child, visor-wearing child. But um, but yeah, only four ranked teams are sing- are less than – sorry, I had this written and it didn't really make sense, but now I, I see what I was trying to say here. Only four ranked teams this week are single-digit favorites this week. Uh, the rest of them are double-plus-digit favorites. So – uh, this is the type of week where just something screwy happens. I have, I have a feeling um, we're getting close to that point in the college football season. Yeah, it's honestly been kind of a disappointing slate of games up to this point. Uh, this past week was pretty soft, uh, to take a word out of Mike Leach's dictionary. But um, I just want to tell everybody, just wait until week seven. I've been looking at week seven for a few weeks now, and it is spicy. So... Um, if you don't get enough good action this weekend, just sit back and relax on the 12th. Man, now you got me thinking. Uh, and yeah, you got the Red River rivalry. You have Bama A&M, which will be a blowup or whatever. Uh, USC, Notre Dame, Penn State, Iowa, Florida, LSU. And then um, you get that, that Washington at Arizona nightcap at 8 p.m., which scares the hell out of me. <laughs> Yeah, that'll be a good one. Uh, and then uh, the following week, uh, we might. Well, I don't, I don't want to get Ooh. my my uh, my hopes up there. I won't even. Won't even. This speak is what that. I do in my spare time. I just start like going out weeks and be like, "Ooh, I could watch <laughs> football all day that day." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> did you say USC Notre Dame in that as well? Because that'll yeah, that, that should be spicy. Weeks. Penn yep. State Iowa. Yeah, that's that's a lot of a lot of numbers versus numbers uh, that week, which is always fun. Yep. Um, yeah, and everything will definitely stay totally the same in between now and then. Yep. For sure. <laughs> uh, all right, you uh, you tipped off your great cat this week. Did you have a, a co kitty or just the just the one? Nope, nope. I, I gave the coog kitty to Leech there. Meow. Uh, my great cat of the week is the <laughs> uh, the bummer ref that the Huskies and, and Trojans had. Uh, what was it? Three. Uh, on or like excessive celebration Four. calls. Four excessive celebration Four calls. Yeah, um, one was called on Trey Adams. They ended up doing like 500 push-ups or something for. Um, but then two, just like I was like, "What? Like, what are you? What are you even talking about?" Um, 
and it just it was it was it was a real bummer. Hard hard to celebrate a touchdown when when there's a, a celebration call on the field. Didn't like that. Um, what about your uh, your OKG of the week? OKG is gonna keep a special theme or special teams theme. Uh, Paint Henry two for two. Granted, only from twenty eight and thirty five, but he's now nine for nine in the season. Uh, twenty two for twenty two from extra points. So I mean. I know he hasn't really had been tested a whole lot from field goal kicking standpoint. Uh, he did hit that 49 yarder against Cal, which was his only field goal over 40 yards. But it's just nice to see this guy who struggled so much last year to be uh, consistent so far and hasn't missed a kick. So, you know, he'll miss one this week because I've, I've said all this. Um, but then keeping that special teams theme uh, shout out to Race Porter for being the most fired up guy on the UW sideline after every punt by Joel Whitford. <laughs> Uh, he's, you know, out there jumping up and congratulating the team after every punt. So I like to see that. And then sidebar, Joel Whitford continues to have, you know, great games in the punting department. I think he had like a 55 yarder or something like that this week. So, um, continues to raise that average up. I think he's in the mid forties right now, which is tracking with the best in the country or best in program history, I should say, Mm -hmm. which you mentioned, uh, in a previous pod. And then, Last but not least, uh, I feel like my dad here, but uh, the weather on Saturday, the weather was fantastic. It? You know, 12.30 start, it just seemed like it brought me back to uh, the good old days when when you didn't get every game on TV and it was just everything was 12.30. Uh, the TV thing wasn't cool, but it was just, <laughs> just an observation. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, a lot of games on Root Sports back in that, or no, yeah. Fox, Fox Sports Net, actually. FSN. Back, yeah. Um, back when the when, Kyocera sponsored FSN, <laughs> yes, back when the the first down line was optional, someone had to pay for that if they wanted it. Um, those are the days. But yeah, uh, Overstock.com. Whit- yep, Whitford forty four and a half average this year on punts. Uh, dropped down a little bit from his his first okay. six punts. He has a forty five point eight average. Uh, seven punts later, it's down to forty four and a half, but still uh, just a yard off of the all time single season record uh, at UW. Love that one. Um, man, I don't really have, I, 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 you know, it's probably my job to think of this, but how about Savon Ahmed for kind of his, his moment as a Husky, uh, that 89 yard touchdown. Um, honestly, I think this is just completely speculating, but I think his longest or like even close to that moment was, uh, I don't remember if you remember the loss to ASU two years ago when he had the big like reverse for a touchdown that got called back. Uh, I don't know if he's, okay. he's had a long touchdown or even anything close to that since then. So uh, yeah, good for him. Glad to kind of get that, that staple play uh, for his big moment as a Husky, especially coming off an injury. So who even knows how healthy he was for that. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was a big moment and one that basically from the time he was at the 25 yard line, the the Huskies 25, you knew that was a touchdown, uh, which is just a pretty cool play to watch uh, live in the stadium. Three quick facts about that touchdown. Fifth longest in UW football history. The longest since Napoleon Kaufman's 91-yarder years ago against San Jose State. Uh, and the longest run versus a Pac-12 opponent in UW history. There we go. Love it. Uh, good good, good mm-hmm. fact to end that one on. And I forgot my actual OKG of the week that I totally meant to write down. Uh, you for hosting a, a wonderful tailgate uh, breakfast taco. Perfect. That was much, much needed. Can't even tell you how much that was uh, that needed to happen uh, that morning. Uh, so appreciate you for for doing a great job, and then for uh, 
uh, you know, for for helping me find you in the parking lot because uh, yeah, your boy was was hurting. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what that's what friends are for, right? There we go. Uh, all right, Stanton, good stuff. Go dogs. Let's uh, let's let's break this this farm curse uh, this week. Let's do it. Go dogs. <laughs> <laughs>